The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. Songhez Omapepe on SAFM. Good evening, Dr. Linda Mayer, Higher Education, or rather Head of Operations at Sector Support at University of South Africa. Hmm, Minister has said 10 universities are aiming, aiming being the operative word, to complete the academic year before the end of 2020 calendar year. Four universities plan to do the same in January, seven more, end of Feb, and five more universities to complete in March. Very difficult times for higher education also, Doc. Absolutely. It it is a very trying time, and I think the stress levels on students and academic staff are exceptionally high at this time. Let's talk about the practicality of all of this. Let's assume all of what I've said happens that way. In other words, 10 at the end of the year, 4 end of Jan, 7 end of Feb, and 5 at the end of March. What are the implications for that for the 2021 calendar year? Of course, it is more than likely that there won't be uniformity for that academic year across the universities, that is. Certainly not. So we've seen this year is, is what we refer to as a, as a uh, extracted or um, extended academic year. And for next year, we're going to see a contracted academic year. So we certainly will see holidays being cut shorter, uh, the, the hours um, may be longer because we will have to make up the time. We need 27 weeks to complete the academic calendar within a year. And some of these universities are now only completing or in the process of completing their first semesters. So mm. we, we must be realistic. This is this is a planned scenario, but it might happen, for example, that uh, you know, some of these institutions, the five institutions that are planning for March, do run over. We can't be uh, unrealistic about that. But it will mm. mean then that, that we have to adjust the academic year and I don't think that, you know, realistically, we can speak about the normalization of COVID-19 just in 2020. It will be 2021 and 2022, all going well, that, that we then normalize the system. There were conversations, and I remember specifically having a conversation, I think it was Satu at the time talking about South Africa does not always have to have an academic calendar within the calendar year, in other words, January to December. Is that in any way a conversation which is picking up momentum in that you can start for South Africa's sake in response to COVID-19 and sort of how it has impacted us to have going forward on a more consistent basis even an academic year crossing over the calendar year traditionally? So when you look at the American and the European uh, calendars, they do start Mm. in September. So for us, the reason why the academic year works for us is because there are other impacts. Our summer is over the December period, and also our tourism is, is most highly affected within that time. So traditionally, that has been the construct that we've had. So what it would mean if we if we change the seasons, it, it would obviously be like the American, uh, which would be over our winter period, which might have negative effects on holiday periods, families going away for the December break. Of course, you'll know in America and Europe, those breaks are very short. They're not extended like they are with us. They wait for their, for their summer vacation. So so it's not that these things are not, uh, but I think we must be pragmatically realistic about the broader economic and social impact that society will suffer if, if we just uniformly apply these adaptions.
Dr. Linda Mayer, Head of Operations and Sector Support at University of South Africa. Quick um, note there, Doc. Could I ask you just to hold the phone slightly away from your ear if it is your cell phone? I keep getting a beep beep sound and it's oftentimes a case where somebody's pressing a button inadvertently. For those of you who do want to participate in this conversation, of course, who are affected, however so, by the changes, let me just call it that, in higher education, please give us a call. Johannesburg, 714-2006. That is... 011-714-2006. WhatsApp facilities available, you know the rules there. Doc, let's talk about the non-academic stuff that a university is also about. I understand the primary product is to get young South Africans trained, skilled, and reinvesting all of that training and skills acquisition into the formal economy as well as informal economy for the nation's development. But the social aspects to it, meeting people, meeting lifelong friends, engaging in sport and recreation, in crafting the arts, or just spending time thinking about the research that can only be developed with time. A lot of that is either impossible to do or severely constrained. A comment on that. So I think you, you're quite right in that the social contextual development and, and exposure for students is is severely affected because we must also remember for many of our students they come from from uh, environments home environments that are not necessarily well resourced so it, it is not just about the social constructs in in the environment but also about the adaption of those social constructs so as with everything the the hardest hit individuals that that have less that are marginalized in society and specifically our students are that that they would then be removed from those social engagements and also from the facilities that are made uh, available to them so there's nothing good to be said about students being removed and and certainly that is why as University South Africa we have been advocating to get our students back onto campus because we can't be naive to the social impact that that our students are suffering. Well, students are suffering, and not just because of COVID, but sometimes of inherent challenges that universities had been experiencing because we know very early on in this academic year, and it has almost become custom at this point, that universities were on strike. I mean, I know a couple of universities, even my old university, the University of Forte, there were inherent challenges with the administration before COVID stuck. To what extent have some of those, let me call systemic issues, which were always there, and let's say you take away COVID, they still remain. The student complaints in terms of the NISFAS funding model and how it has just been made worse by COVID. The fact that universities' resources are not evenly spread among the students and there isn't enough of a dedicated um, eye, so to speak, that focuses on these needy students who have a disparate experience of university setup because of socioeconomic conditions from home. Have these challenges, which have an impact on university life generally outside COVID, been attended to? And could you give us a sense as to what are some of those problems that you have been attending to or are attending to? So I think for for University of South Africa, obviously we're the collective voice for the public universities, and we work closely with the Department of Higher Education and Training and Higher Health for the initiatives. But in yes. in, in answering your question, the systemic issues have not changed. 
just by giving, a, you know, many of our students still haven't received their devices, still have not received data, and those processes are still underway. But what we have seen systemically, and and obviously this is this is anecdotal uh, evidence and, and not based in, in empirical fact until next year, but we have seen, mm-hmm. we have heard from universities that many students that did not qualify for NISFAS before the lockdown now have fallen into the category. In other words, the the households earning less than 350,000 per annum. So systemically, our big problem has always been the missing middle students, the 350,001 to 600,000 category of students. So although we're still sitting with students that will now be marginalized and further fall into this category, we will will experience significant additional fiscal pressures as students then become misfire students Mm -hmm. because we can see across the board we are not naive to the, the very real reality that government departments across the board are seeing that their budgets are being cut. So we are not... You know, we're hoping for the best, but pragmatically, we are not naive to expect that this is not going to affect public universities. So critically, our energy has been focused in, in really advocating that as far as possible, NISFAS funds must remain as they are, and that where possible, you'll, you'll have noticed through all of the funding initiatives that we have been busy with, that we've been advocating for funding mm-hmm. around the missing middle students. So... The, the poor, as much as, as the, the NISFA students are affected, they remained to get their housing allowance, their stipends, they remained to get a number of other, other benefits. But I think we must not forget about the missing middle students and these additional students that are now worse, even worse off mm-hmm. than we could have mag- imagined before the COVID-19 uh, effect. You know, I mean, you are essentially saying higher education in South Africa must do so much more with, on the evidence of what everybody knows, so much less. And this is especially the time where, in reality, they have to be doing the same more, but almost non-negotiably with more. In other words, the resources cannot afford to be less than the initial appropriations, but especially because of what has since happened as a result of COVID, the reality is more money and more resources need to be pumped into the higher education system. Now, with such a, a divergent reality in terms of what is and what should be, what is the solution to that? So the solution is always more resources, better resourcing, better access for students to 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 money. I mean, I, I couldn't have expressed it better than you did in your summation before you asked me the question. But I, I think pragmatically, as much as we say that we need more money, we need to use that money better. However it is that we're getting it, we need to reevaluate how we're spending this money. You know, it's, it's, if we see, for example, that um, research funding is being cut, so I think that we, we really need to systemically look at the challenges because it's not just about COVID-19. And, and you alluded to it earlier in, in, your, mm. in your statement about the volatility in the higher education sector and about normalizing the inequalities in a fair and transparent manner, but also being socially aware 
of the severe challenges that our students are facing. I mean, in reality, how can a student with a household of 400,000, how can they really afford to send their child to university? That is not realistic. They've got household expenses. Now they have to pay for a child to be somewhere else. So we need to reevaluate the system and really start having frank and open discussions about how we use resources, how we then implement these resources, and how, for example, the learnership system in South Africa, where corporates take on learners for a year and they get tax rebates. Doc, sorry, sorry, Dr. Mayer. Can I just ask you to hold that thought, please? I'm pressed for time for an ad break. We're going to take it up from the learnership system keyword, the learnership system. That's what you're going to introduce in your conversation immediately after the short break. Tweet at SAFM Radio and at there. We're back. Dr. Linda Mayer is on the line, Head of Operations and Sector Support at University of South Africa, Johannesburg 714-2006, if you want to participate, talking about matters incidental to higher education in the country. The question is, how can a household give a figure 400,000 afford to send a child to university given the fact that it's essentially the same as starting another household altogether on the same budget? And Doc was starting to ask questions in relation to the learnership system. You want to carry on, please, Doc? Thank you so much. So, so we see that, for example, with the learnership system, which has been implemented through the CETAs, that organizations get significant tax rebates. And if they fund a disabled student, they can get tax rebates in the region of 120,000 rand and and 60,000 and above for the learnership system. Now, our only incentive for employers to invest in higher education is that there is a a tax rebate if if you earn under a specific amount and you're paying for someone, but also on their triple BE spend. So we need to really see how we incentivize organizations to invest through the very same systems that already exist so that we optimize Mm -hmm. and make sure that we get more money into the higher education system. Yeah, you see, you're talking about something which is quite the bane of, I suppose, this administration and its predecessors, and that being its programs and institutions don't sufficiently talk to each other. Because one might look at the leadership system completely outside the context of higher education, but that's exactly where the resource comes from. That's where the student comes from, right? Now, you mentioned public works, so many government buildings that are not occupied, and yet we have a problem of student accommodation. You can talk about anything and you will find that if you really sit down, you can create sort of lines to connect these dots. I suppose what I'm getting to now is how has the conversation, if it is at all taking place, between the many players who have a role to play in higher education coming together now to start beyond the layers of what their mandates are, but seeing how their mandates can corroborate with those of other institutions and government programs and frameworks, so as to ultimately, in the absence of the resource, at least be able to do something in the context of a program or meeting each other halfway where then there isn't a resource spend, but you at least have dealt with a problem that would otherwise require resources. I hope I'm clear on that. You're absolutely clear, and I think that you you touch on the matter of coherency and integration and really harnessing resources that are available. I know 
working very closely with the Department of Higher Education and Training and and the uh, you know the Deputy Director General and the Chief Directors there that their hearts are in the right place. But often exactly as you say, it's these these disjointed and disconnected conversations that don't happen. So we start investing in building new razors when right next door there's a building standing empty that can be converted. So, you know, I, I can't really answer on behalf of, of public works and and all of these these things, but I think that, that what is it that we do to draw these things closer? From our side, all we can do is, is obviously advocate, put pressure, and, and I think our students are alive to what is, is going on, and the vice-chancellors, as best they can, have done the best they can, but without really a coordinated effort from everyone, seeing what resources are available, where we can optimize spend, how we can pragmatically start evaluating and holding ourselves to account for what it is that we're doing and not doing and should be doing better is the only way that we're really going to move forward. Otherwise, you and I will be having the same conversation in 10 years from now. Forbid we have to do that. And, and, And this is why I need then to ask this question. Because the conversation is happening, spare a thought, never mind the student who's actually in the higher education system, that scholar who is doing grade 12, what does that scholar do? Do they apply? And if they do apply, do they target one of these 10 universities who are promising to finish the calendar year in 2020 so that, I mean, the academic year and the calendar year of 2020 so that 21 can start? 2021 can start at the start of 2021. What if their preference would have been to a typical university that is now saying they will be done in March? You're a parent, I hope, I think, I don't know. I'm your child. Talk to me. I'm your child, Linda. What do we do, Mom? So I think the, the, the minister has said that the academic years will start between March and April, and there is going to be a huge effort on getting the final year students to complete, so the third and fourth year students, so that the first year students can then be placed during March and April. But I think that, you know, parents must not just apply, they must apply to the universities, because unfortunately the central application system is not yet operational, which will take care of that problem in, in, in the future. But right now, apply to all the institutions that you were going to apply for, because we've seen as much as there's speculation, we've seen an increase in application to institutions during during this time. So apply wherever you need to apply to multiple institutions in the programs that you that you intend to have applied for. And some of the institutions' application dates have been moved to accommodate this. And remember that for for placement, for provisional placement, it is the grade 11 results that will be taken into account to to issue those uh, provisional acceptance letters. Very well, Doc, we could continue. I mean, I've got lots of questions. Time is the enemy. I can only say thank you, and you're more than welcome to return to give us these running accounts in terms of what's happening in the higher education space. Yes? I would appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much for, for the time tonight. Thank you so much. Dr. Linda Mayer, Head of Operations and Sector Support at Universities South Africa, really being frank and brutally honest in terms of the challenges 
that do remain for South African students. And of course, when we talk about students, we can't leave out scholars in this particular conversation. That then, folks, was the show, Student Night, talking about the developments in the higher education sector. I do recap, and this is why I ended the, in- the engagement slightly short, because this is what perhaps many might have to know and just get a sense of. The minister has said that 10 universities, and I'm not quite sure which are those universities, and probably doesn't really matter at this point, 10 universities are aiming to complete the academic year before the end of this calendar year. In other words, 10 universities, all things being equal, 2020. Four more universities plan to finish at the end of January. In other words, January, I mean, rather, December will be an academic month still. Good luck for those. As well as these, seven universities plan to end in Feb and five universities plan to end in March. With this being said, obviously, it is highly likely that the start of the academic year then will have to be one staggered and will start for all persons, at least, on the evidence of everything happening the way it should, sometime in March stroke April. Spare a thought for those in higher education, not just the pupils, but the administrators and many people who fit in behind the scenes, whose work is oftentimes not noticed, but when it is absent. Oh boy, oh boy, do we then suddenly realize how important they are. Thank you to you as well at home for your patience. I do understand that there was an issue with the connectivity. We thoroughly take, I I, I apologize for that. We don't know quite what the issue was there. Thanks nonetheless for the indulgence in your messages through to us. We will rectify that. We do try to please. Thanks, Lesejo. Thanks, Kanya. Thanks, Phineas. And have yourselves a great weekend. It's the first day of October. October. Bye-bye.